Well, there are lots of illustrations, uh, biblical illustrations that are given to express uh, this faith that's been started, initiated in us by God. Uh, he loved us first, and we have this invitation to respond to his love. Um, Paul called it the good fight. Uh, in Hebrews, uh, well, let me not get there just yet, but just uh, we, it's called the good fight. In, in uh, John 15, Jesus described our, our connection to him and this faith in terms of, of a vine and branches. Um, using the word uh, abiding. Um, and in the uh, Gospels, Jesus also talked about uh, soil being this illustration and, and seeds being thrown in it. And, and the seeds had obstacles that kept them from growing roots or, for, for, or from growing up. There were weeds, there were rocks. Um, so there's, there's a good fight. There's uh, this growing. There's this uh, abiding um, uh, which for us, for some of us, uh, it comes a, it's a word that maybe we understand more in the terms of, of walking. And it is in Hebrews uh, chapter 12 that it talks about uh, that our faith is, is like a race. There's a course marked out for us. And that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. And in, in this uh, race, in this course that we're walking, uh, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be hindrances to our, our journey. And so uh, with, with this, and, and maybe uh, some of you have um, read the book uh, by John Bunyan. It's an it's a old classic, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Again, uh, about a journey, and it's an allegory of our spiritual faith in Christ and uh, all the obstacles that come up. Well, uh, I, this, this weekend, uh, this past weekend, I, I got to have a, a little bit of Pilgrim's Progress and I was with uh, Charlie Wilson, and uh, uh, he took uh, me and my son uh, for a father-son trip uh, sailing with him out uh, in the Noose River that goes out into the sound off the coast of, of North Carolina, right in that area. And uh, there was a, a perfect illustration given for us for today. <laughs> Charlie was scared that this was going to happen, <laughs> and it's happened, Charlie, sorry. Um, and, uh, and, and, and by the way, Charlie has, has been sailing all his life, and, and uh, this is something he enjoys doing, and uh, if you, he would love an excuse to go again. Uh, so if um, you'd like to think of a father-daughter or father-son trip, uh, I'm sure you could talk to him and make some arrangements. But um, while we were out, we had, we had anchored in, in a, one of the inlets that goes off the Noose River, and uh, had a real peaceful night and no problem getting in there and, and uh, woke up in the morning uh, easy going and setting out and the wind was uh, blowing our way to go right out of that inlet back into the river uh, into this uh, where the mouth of the river meets the ocean and uh, as we uh, the wind was just blowing perfect so Charlie uh, uh, threw up both the mainsail and the jib got that didn't I yeah and uh, wing and wing yeah, yeah, and, and it was just beautiful, just, just heading out, and as we were heading out, the wind was just on this perfect course to take us out, almost, almost. There was this channel marker, and uh, the channel marker, we have to keep to our right, because if you 
gets to the left of you, you're going to get into shallow water and you're going to run aground in your ship or your boat. And so as we were uh, going out, we were heading right for the channel marker. And, and so, but the, the wind was just perfect. The sails were beautiful. And, and Charlie's like, God, you know, maybe we don't need to adjust. Let's not adjust the sails. Let's, I'm sure we can just go near the edge on the right side. Because we're on the left side. There's, there's also a chance of getting blown into this marker. But I'm sure we can just go to the right of it. Just, just skim it and we'll be all right. It should be deep enough. It wasn't. <laughs> In a matter of just seconds, as we were maybe uh, 30 yards from that post, we, and, and we were just going to the right of it just by a fraction, uh, all of a sudden the depth, uh, the depth meter starts going off. Beep, 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 beep. And we went from 10 feet to a matter of zero feet in just seconds. Uh, and we ran aground. And so there we were, and uh, we, we uh, did some pushing, and after a few minutes we were out, and we were back in, into the uh, channel and out into the into the bay and it was uh, into the river and it was beautiful beautiful sailing a lot of fun but uh, that provided just a little moment for uh, today and what we're talking about with the course that we set and in this life in the Christian life uh, even with those of us who have been uh, maybe sailing all our lives with Christ there are going to be times when we have to adjust our course we're going to have to uh, set the sails a different way so that we stay within the bounds and the marks that Christ has called us to walk with him. And we might, we might think that we could cruise by and get by on, on something in another way, another, that seems right to us, but we can run into trouble. And so the deal is, though, no matter how old you are in the faith, there's going to be moments where you're going to have to adjust your course because there are so many variables in this life. And in this Christian life of following Christ, there's, there's the wind, there's the waves, there's the tide, there's the depth of the waters, there's fixed marks that aren't going to move and you can't go through them. You have to go around them and, or under them or whatever it may be. And so you will have to adjust. We've been invited. We're empowered by Christ. It's, it's, it's His work, but we have to respond. We have to move. You know, Noah, when I look in Hebrews 11, Noah could not continue life as usual and build an ark at the same time. He had to make some adjustments. Abram couldn't stay in Ur and father a nation in Canaan. He had to make some adjustments. Moses could not stay on the backside of the desert herding sheep and stand before Pharaoh at the same time. David, he had to leave his sheep to become king. Amos, the prophet, had to leave the sycamore trees to go and preach to Israel. Peter, Andrew, James, and John had to put aside their fishing business in order to follow Jesus. Paul had to completely change the direction of his life in order to preach the gospel to Gentiles. You see, after God initiated, all these people adjusted their lives. They moved their spiritual feet on a spiritual pathway to abide in God's presence. 
Jesus, he's initiated us. He's invited us to follow him. And, and we're going to have to adjust our lives to follow him. You know, the natural course of our life, the natural course without the spirit, it does not follow his steps. We can read it in the scriptures. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. See, he calls us out of a, a sedentary spiritual life, a sitting still, no movement, stagnant, to a life of what the New Testament describes as being an alien, a stranger in this world, a, a pilgrim. And when I say pilgrim, don't think of, you know, again, the, the black hat and the, the white little shoulder piece and Thanksgiving. Think of a traveler, a traveler, a journeyman. A, a, a pilgrim who is passing through. That's what we're called to, guys. And for those of us who trust Jesus, we are moving in confidence. We're moving towards a beautiful place, to the throne of grace where we can receive mercy and find grace to help us. We're told through the gospel that we are called and invited and we are being escorted by our personal guide, Jesus to our destination, to God's rest, to God's city. And we talked some about Jesus being our personal guide. And I want to tell you just a little more. He tells us that he will never leave us, never forsake us. We have his company on this journey, his presence to enjoy with us on the journey. And so on this journey with Jesus, as we walk by faith and not by sight, we're told that there are going to be obstacles. If we have responded to Jesus' invitation to follow him, we will have already made adjustments to our lives to initially follow him. But I want you to know there's going to be more adjustments further down the road. We've got to keep in step with him. You know, there are present and future obstacles and hindrances that will try to derail us from the path, cause us to drift harden our hearts, get our eyes off the goal, or even try to get us to act in unbelief. So let's stop talking about our faith as past tense, as something that happened to us a long time ago. Let's talk about our faith right now, where you hope your faith will lead you today and in your future. And we're told that on this road and the road ahead of us, there's going to be sin, and hindrances to try and trip us up. And not just trip, but to stop us and entangle us, to keep us from walking and keeping, and keeping us from uh, being in step with the Spirit. And let, let's just first look at sin. All right? that, that's a big elementary thing there. When, when you sin, that is an obstacle to God's presence. I mean, it's the whole reason that He died on the cross for us, right? To, to remove sin so that we could be with Him eternally in heaven. But like I said, on this journey, we get to enjoy His presence now, not just in the afterlife. And so we want to walk with Him and abide with Him. And sin can be an obstacle to that. You know, there's a tendency for us not to bring our sin before God. To not bring it before Him and ask His forgiveness. But instead, we, we want to hide it. Ignore it. Or even excuse it. You know, we don't want to face the embarrassment of our own failure. And sometimes we don't even want to acknowledge that we failed in some way. It's, it's just hard on us. But the danger 
of ignoring sin in this way is that we can, we can cauterize our conscience to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Cauterize, meaning uh, like a, a branding iron. Uh, when, when you see in the cowboy movies and they put the brand on the cows and it, it, it burns their skin, it cauterizes it. Um, it and with that burning uh, and, and cauterizing, it, it, it sears the skin and it kills it so that there's only scar tissue that comes back. This, this tissue that doesn't burn, it doesn't uh, stretch, it doesn't, it has no feeling any longer. And so when you start doing this, when you ignore, ignore sin, when God is prompting you to bring it to Him and seek His forgiveness, you, you, ana, 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 mm, how do I say this? Ana, say it for me, Jane. Yes, anesthetize it. Yes. And, and when you do that, there's, it, it, we do that with rationalizing it and until it, it seems to heal over. But it, it's merely just cauterized and developing a callus so that you no longer feel there in that area. So the next time you sin in that particular area, you no longer feel anything. You've successfully made yourself numb and blind to the Spirit in this area in your life. It doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation or anything like that. It just means that this is an area that you basically said, God, this is off limits to you. And this is an area now where I just won't enjoy your presence any longer. You're missing out on joy. The joy of a heart fully and completely given to God. You know, don't let this lead to the blinding of your mind to the light of Christ. Be careful. Don't let sin entangle you this way. It's dangerous. Throw off sin by confessing it. When we sin, don't run from God. Run to Him. He's the one who can take care of it. There's a reason Jesus taught us to pray. And when He taught us to pray, that one part, there's one part in it that we should pray all the time. Forgive us our sin. As we forgive those who sin against us. It's why we're told to confess our sins in James chapter 5. We're told to encourage one another daily so that we won't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, when you let sin stay, you don't confess. It either cauterizes, makes you numb, or it makes you hardened and calloused. Let the Word of God search your soul. Don't leave it to your own conscience. Don't leave it to your own conscience to search your soul. In fact, ask the Lord to let the lamplight of His Word to search you and say, Lord, is there any offensive way in me? There is, show me. And He will. It's not something that you have to be super, super introspective and, and oh, I've I got to turn over every corner. The Lord will show you. He'll make it clear. But I want you to know, don't leave it just to your conscience. You have to go to the Word of God. You see, consciences can be warped. Consciences can be hardened. Consciences can be seared. And we know this from history. You know, the slow changes of, of collective conscience in a society 
It allowed killing as entertainment in ancient Rome, the gladiators, and, and later on the, the serving of Christians to, to be killed. It, the hardening of conscience, the searing of conscience happened to a whole society in Germany that, uh, that allowed the murder of Jews and those who were uh, physically disabled or mentally disabled to be killed. And it led it to be acceptable in Germany at one time. It, it led to the slavery of black brothers and sisters in America. This hardening of conscience. So let the Word of God keep you tuned to the differences between right and wrong. Not your conscience, not the latest trend from society. Because society goes up and down all the time. The Word of God is steady and constant. The Spirit will take up His sword. The sword is His Word. And the Spirit will take it up and cut away sin, cut away callous layers upon your heart. Don't let sin harden you or entangle you in such a way to keep you from walking with Jesus. Now if you want to remain a traveler with Jesus, a pilgrim, you got to watch out for other hindrances. In that Hebrews uh, 12, verses uh, 1, 2, and 3, it talks about uh, the sin that easily entangles us and, and also to throw that off, but also hindrances. Jesus spoke to some of these hindrances. We can become preoccupied with making a living and the worries of this life. And, and Jesus spoke in the, in the parable of, of the soils. In, in Matthew 13, He said, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth can choke out our faith. Can choke out that life that He's planted in us like weeds. You have to put the... Uh, it's when you put the worries first. When you do that, the worries and cares of this life, then all of a sudden, you begin giving God the leftovers of your life. you got to watch out for falling into the pattern of constantly seeking pleasure. The things and pleasures of this world are always intrusive. But our Lord never is. You see, the difference between spiritual things and earthly things is that things of the Spirit are modest. Never pushing in on you. Not singing commercials to you. Not knocking on your door. Not calling on your phone. Not the pop-up on your screen when you're at your computer urging you to buy. Spiritual things are not like that. Spiritual things instead are simply waiting for you to notice. The things of earth are always pushing you to go certain ways and to do certain things. Our Lord isn't intrusive like that. Not at all. Instead, He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things that the world chases after, they'll be added as well. I know what you need. Our Lord says, seek me with all your heart and you will find me. You see, the invitation from the Lord is there. What will you do with it? It, it demands a response. How will you respond? You, you just can't do nothing. If you want to keep in step with the Spirit, following Jesus, keep running the race, keep traveling as this pilgrim, then you've got to throw off the hindrances and the sin that entangles and can harden your heart. 
If you want to remain a pilgrim and moving on the pathway to his presence, you're going to have to watch out for unbelief and drifting. Hebrews tells us that unbelief can sneak up on you and keep you from entering his rest, just as it did for the Israelites who started in Egypt, but then they never entered the promised land. You know, we're, we're kind of hard on the Israelites sometimes. You know, those of us who maybe grown up in church and whole, heard a lot of the Old Testament stories of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and the miraculous things that God did. And then the next moment, they're in the desert and there's no food and no water and the Israelites are all crying out and they're complaining. They say, we want to go back to Egypt. You know, we read the story and we go, how could you do that? How could you have such unbelief in a moment when... Just a moments ago, God just parted the sea for you. He, there was things falling from heaven to push the Egyptians back. And how can that be? And, and we're really hard on them. But the truth is, I think sometimes it's very easy for us to go right there with them in unbelief. I think sometimes we think it's impossible that we could ever have an unbelieving heart that would turn away from Jesus. And I know, I know that the Lord is with us, that He's going to start what He finished in us. But I think there's areas in our life where sometimes unbelief creeps in. I, I, my wife watches this, uh, has watched uh, a favorite show, uh, Anne of Green Gables. I know all the ladies in there. Oh, yes, Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. All the guys are, what? Huh? What is that? Um, and, but there's this one part where um, Anne, the main character, is living in the new home, she's an orphan who's now been brought in and adopted by uh, uh, Matthew and Amarilla. Marilla. Uh, sorry, getting it wrong here. Got to help me out. Uh, and and uh, Marilla is just this tough old bird. But, but of course, Anne's there and the story is going to soften her up. But, but uh, part of the story at the beginning is, is Marilla, she has a real strong faith in Christ. And there's this moment where Anne, she's despairing. And she says she's, woe is her, because she's in the pit of despair, because she's got red hair, and it's the worst thing in life. And, and Marilla just turns to her and said, to despair is to turn your back on God. And just like your mouth just kind of drops open, and it's like, well, that's true. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, there's moments where, and we've talked about this this past year, where despair sneaks in, tries to take away hope. And despair is, is, a, is a movement of unbelief, unbelief in God. It can sneak up on us too, just like it did the Israelites. We're not immune to it. It can grab parts of our hearts. And the one big part where this really gets us, especially for those of us who've grown up in this country, we've been trained from childhood to move towards unbelief in Jesus. And, and, and it really comes as a slight shift, but it's a fundamental shift in where we put our belief in thought. It's been taught in our movies, it's been taught in our songs, our poetry, our books, and it's used constantly to sell us everything from burgers to sex. It's simply the biggest lie our country has ever propagated and which many of us have bought, and it, it, it seeds unbelief in us. I'll tell you what it is. You know what it is? You've heard it before. You go, oh, yeah. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. It's the biggest lie that's ever been sold to us. And the one that most of us have slightly bought into in one way or another. 
And I'm not, I'm not talking about throwing away your confidence, but there is nothing about believing yourself that is in unity with God's Word. God's Word tells you to do a lot of things with yourself, but none of them are, are like believing yourself. What does the Bible tell you to do with yourself? How about deny yourself, crucify yourself, put off your old self, put on the new self, humble yourself. But nowhere in the Bible does it ever say anything close to believe in yourself. This lie that we bought teaches us to fix our thoughts on ourself instead of Christ. We're deliberately told to do this, and yet the Bible commands us to fix our thoughts on Christ. This, this lie teaches us that naturally as we come into this world, there's nothing wrong with us. That we are the end all. And if there is nothing wrong with us, then we have no need for Christ to come into us. We have no need for Christ to make us new. We have no need for Christ to live through us. Believe in yourself is the most ridiculous thing to say or act upon when you really put it in perspective of all humanity. I mean, think of the things that characterize this world. Alcoholism, physical abuse, workaholics, drug lords, homeless children, suicide, deadbeat dads, slumlords, child molesters, sex offenders, warmongers, tyrannical dictators, pornographers, racists, political wars as a game while people suffer, corrupted institutions, perverted justice, uh, people finding pleasure in hurting themselves or others, uh, de depression, uh, the man-haters, woman-haters, dropouts, shutouts, demagogues. And you want me to just believe in myself? I have to agree with G.K. Chesterton when he responded to the London Times article on the question, what's wrong with the world? Chesterton simply replied to the editor, What's wrong with the world, sirs? I am. G.K. Chesterton. I'm sorry. I just think believing yourself is ridiculous. I can only believe in Jesus Christ. Find, please, please, find another way to build your children's confidence. Find another way to say, have hope. But don't teach your children to believe in themselves. Teach them to believe in Jesus Christ. It's so subtle, yet it's so destructive to true faith that says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm lost without Christ. He is my compass. I'm needy and poor in spirit. Believe in yourself and be fooled into self-sufficiency that will eventually fail you. Believe in Jesus Christ and you'll find yourself on a rock that cannot be shaken. One day, everything that can shake is going to shake, and it's going to fall. Don't let it be you. Stand upon the rock. Put your trust in Jesus Christ, the rock. The subtle challenge to the pathway of God's presence with our personal guide, Jesus, can not only fool us into self-sufficiency, but turn our eyes away from the originator and perfecter of our faith. We are told on this journey to fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. Have you ever driven past large fields that farmers cultivate? What do you see? You see these nice, straight rows 
corn or milo or beans or wheat, whatever it may be. How do they do that? How, how do they plant that? Yes, they have machines that help them, but they, they fix their eyes on a point across the field in the distance, and they move their tractor towards that, pint, that, that point. If they, they look down at the ground or, or they, or they you know, go to check their Facebook page on their mobile phone while they're driving their tractor, there, there is weaving and, and, and all kinds of things, and they got a wacky, messed up field that will be difficult to cultivate later. Crooked, helter-skelter planting. Same thing happened this, this weekend while uh, my son Alec took the, the wheel uh, of, the, of the boat, had to fix your eyes on a, a point and just look towards it. If, if you just took your eyes off for a moment, drift would happen. Either the wind would push you off course or, or the tide or waves. There is just drift in this life that we can't do anything about. You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus to stay on course. Look, Jesus started something in your life that he wants to finish. And he wants to mature you. And, and, and he wants you to gain the whole measure of fullness of Christ one day. See, he's the author. He, he, he started this writing, this story that you're in. He's the perfecter of your faith. He's going to make it beautiful. He's going to make it a great story to read. So fix your eyes on Him or else you'll start adding things to your life that you don't need to carry. And walk paths that you don't have to walk. What happens when you drive down the road and you don't fix your eyes on the road? What happens if you're reading that billboard too long or you pick up your phone to read a text? You miss your turn. You might run into somebody. You might cause someone else to wreck. There might be something in the road or a curve. You might be able to adjust your course in time. If Jesus is our personal guide, if Jesus is our pathway to God's presence, we've got to keep our eyes on Him and not let them be diverted. He leads us, but it's not always up and to the right, as people say in the business world. We, we always hope that our lives will always be up and to the right, this steady climb of always getting better, always things happening and moving forward. But you know what my spiritual life is like? And even backwards, and then forwards, three steps back, two steps forward. Mine looks nothing like up and to the right. And I'm afraid for most of us, it's not that way. I know eventually I'll get to that point if you want to keep the business illustration, Jesus in perfection, the full measure. He's going to get me there one day. But till that time, it's a road and there's lots of twists and turns. And I'm, I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus in every step that He takes me because I know where He wants me to go is right where I need to be. And where He's at is where I want to be. Don't take your eyes off Him. I want you to know that there's also a benefit to keeping your eyes on Him. It, further down in Hebrews, I don't have this up on the screens or anything, but it says, consider Him. And that, that's part of fixing your eyes on Him. What does it mean to fix your eyes on Him? It's not just staring at a certain point, but it's considering our Lord. And it says, consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, the Bible in, in another place in Galatians talks about weariness growing in our lives. 
And, and what does the Scripture say here? It says about ending this weariness, to stop the growth of weariness. It says consider Him. Consider Him. Consider Him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe right now, let's, let's just do a little experiment. I, I want us to try this. I want us to do that right now. I want, you, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to consider Him, to consider Jesus. So, so do that right now. Close your eyes. And, and I'm just going to describe our Lord to you, and we're going to think. We're going to consider Him and fix our inward eye on Him. Jesus, He is the immortal King, eternal Lord, sustainer of all living things. Fix the eyes of your heart on Him. Consider Him. He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary. In His understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Oh Lord, we, we want to receive some of that strength now. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Lord, help us to reject despair. Let us not misplace hope into other things or people, but to hope in you. They will soar on the wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. Jesus, you know the word that will sustain weary hearts. Jesus says to each one of us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. Mm. Can you see, can you feel maybe some of that weariness just falling off right now? I think, I think it is. That weariness, it's like a weed and it's, you're just plucking it out of the garden right now. Consider Him. It's the major way that you can stunt the growth of weariness. Stop it in its tracks. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider Him. You can open your eyes. It's an experiment that you can do at home. You don't have to just do it here at church. You can do it anytime. So, there are going to be hindrances on the pathway to His presence. What do you do when sin entangles you? Get rid of it. Confess it. Don't ignore it. Don't let it harden you. Let the Word of God search your heart. Also, on this pathway to His presence, watch out for unbelief blocking your path or being deceived to believe in your own sufficiency instead of the sufficiency of Christ. Watch out for some of those attractive hindrances, the worries and cares of this life, the pleasures of this world. What do you do when these obstacles show up? Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
because he can help you navigate around or over or under or through these. Make the adjustments. You can't do autopilots. Our walking by faith is not an autopilot kind of journey. We follow him step by step. Remember, remember, he's with us, he is for us, and we can enjoy his presence while we're on this journey. And one day, eternally enjoy his presence in God's city one day. I want us to close right now in reading Psalm 16. And so uh, I'd like you to stand with me. And uh, last week we, we closed with Psalm 23. We, we spoke that out loud. It's, a, it's a, a psalm of, again, Jesus being our personal guide. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, it's, it's a great passage to memorize. It's a great passage to get in your brain. Uh, this is another one, Psalm 16. So it's about this idea of us on a journey, of Jesus being the one that we fix our eyes on, the one who's our rock, will never be shaken. So here we go. Let's read this together. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations, blood, or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Consider Him, because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And Lord, guide us on the journey. Lord, this psalm is our prayer. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and I hope that you have a great week.